The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Let's move to the week trending, the stories that have been making the headlines this week. And as it happens, we have two political experts with us because there's no doubt landlords and tenants and politicians, definitely the story of the week leading to the resignation of the Minister of State, Robert Troy. We're joined by even more political correspondent with the Irish edition of the Sunday Times and Michael Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner. And Aoife, I suspect that there must have been lots of politicians this week checking their declarations and their register uh, to make sure that they had everything correctly put on it. I actually thought that myself, not to be cynical, but I thought there might have been a lot more people speaking out about the mistakes that Robert Choi had made. And I felt that a lot of his political opponents were quite quiet. Um, and I do think there are a lot of, we know um, there's a lot of landlords in the doll, and I'd say they're all going back to their letting agents and whoever else and checking that they've got everything declared now and I think that's only a good thing. I think they should be worried that these that they have filled these forms out correctly. I think more transparency is always needed. And yeah, I'd say there's a bit of panic around the halls of Leinster House this week of white property. Because Michael Clifford, in, it's not just what you might call the ruling class parties of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil where the landlords reside, is it? We're even now seeing people in Sinn Féin having issues with having properly registered their interests. That's it, Matt. I saw that. And um, also I think it was an independent. But I mean, I think that sums it up really. It's not what you might call a left-right divide or anything. It's a generational divide. And most people in the Dáil, well, maybe I'm being, well, I would say most people in the Dáil are certainly over 40, yep. could share them over 50. Yep. And they're at a position where some of them, when they've, you know, if they've done relatively all right in life, they've invested in a property or two. And that's completely sorry, alien territory. But sorry, that's what really grabbed me about the Robert Troy story was that when he issued his statement, his resignation statement, he said he'd started buying property when he was 20. Yeah, he he's, went only, to work. he's only 40 now and he has Eleven. nine income producing properties. Yeah. He went to work straight after school, to be fair to him. So, so, have, so have thousands and thousands <laughs> of people absolutely, absolutely. across and Ireland so, and, and they some, don't have 11 properties? Uh, d- d- no, but the point about it is <laughs> 20 years ago or more, if somebody was very entrepreneurial and I can actually think of one individual, Matt, you know that we knew, we worked with him back in the Sunday Tribune over 20 years ago, a man who on the face of it didn't have much of a salary. But if people were entrepreneurial at that stage and they managed to do it, it was possible. So is this one of our colleagues? He's not a journalistic colleague, but he was somebody who worked there. Very nice fellow. <laughs> I'm but not starting to think who could that possibly be. No, no, it wasn't like a journalist. Absolutely line. not. Absolutely. No, no. But the, the point I'm making is, in those days, some people, if they were very entrepreneurial, it was possible. Today, The banks un- were throwing money at people. Absolutely. And understand... And you didn't have to have a savings record for more than a few years either. Absolutely. And the old thing of... And a lot of guards, for instance, used to do that. And people who have been in, you know, those kind of jobs where there's a lot of overtime possible. And you had you had uh, security. They were able to borrow rent, borrow off another rent, what have you. There were a lot of people like that. No, the point about that is anybody leaving school today, anybody 20, no matter how entrepreneurial they are, unless they're some tech wizard, they're not going to be buying a house. End of story. Mm-hmm. Like, And there has to be a recognition of that. And part of that is complete transparency about anything that's being discussed in the doll mm-hmm. to do it properly. Yeah, and indeed, I think this is the thing that really grabbed Peter Robert Troy as well, in that while he was not uh, completely full and frank in his disclosures, shall we say, there he was inside in the doll arguing in favour of evictions. He used his doll time um, to ask for help uh, for landlords to evict 
people during the pandemic. He also wanted to see if we could raise the rental assistance scheme without declaring. Now, to be fair, he didn't have to declare that he was getting money from the rental assistance scheme, but he was. And I think, you know, there's. I'm not accusing Robert Choi of anything here because they do not have to declare that they get money from HAP or RAS or whatever it is, but they should because the whole point of declaring your interest is that the, the public know. And I feel like the public deserve to know if their representative is gone for certain things that he has a vested interest in it. We had a lot of people getting in touch with the programme during the week suggesting that we shouldn't have any landlords at all in the Doyle because that would mean they were biased in relation to the whole thing. But if that was to be taken to its logical conclusion, wouldn't Sinn Féin have a problem given that not its individuals, although there are some individuals in the party who are property owners and one who has a difficulty not having registered the Residential Tenancies Board, but Sinn Féin is the biggest property owner amongst the political... Something yeah, like I believe 50 premises. They, I believe Sinn Féin have about 50 premises, um, north and, and north and south. A lot of them are constituency offices. Um, I think what the public are saying, now, this notion that if you, you shouldn't be in the doll if you're a landlord, there would be nobody left in the doll to argue with each other if that was the case. I think what people really want, it's not that they don't want landlords, they want people to be full frank and honest about their interests and if you are making money out of government schemes you should have to declare that if you're going to argue for more support for those schemes in the doll. I think that's absolutely the case and back again to the generational divide um, if people have made something and they have a couple of properties good luck to them Jeez, I wish I had mm. but the point about it is they're in there making the laws It's re- the, the, the divide between landlords and tenants is a huge element in the current housing crisis mm-hmm. A because renters are paying so much and B because if there's going to have to be long term renting then there has to be greater security for renters which inevitably is at, is at a cost as such for landlords so people have to know exactly where everyone's coming from if there is such a political debate. One of the things Robert tried to bring up as well though, he said that some of the media coverage had been inaccurate and that people wouldn't correct it. Does the media have responsibility there not just firstly always try and get things right but if mistakes are made to correct and clarify given that we're making that demand of Robert Troy? No question. Media always has done that and Print media is the one I'm familiar with and um, in general terms, I think when there is an issue like mm-hmm. that, they come back and, and, and correct it. I think what he's, no, I don't want to put words in Robert Troy's mouth, but I think what he is specifically referring to is an allegation that he asked for cash only from a tenant. The independent news site, The Dutch, reported that the tenant had told them that Robert Troy specifically said that he wanted paid in cash. Robert Troy said that he has a signed affidavit that it was the tenant wanted to pay in cash because the, la- the tenant had a bad experience with the previous landlord and they wanted to pay in cash he has sent uh, a legal a legal letter to the Dutch for um, defamation I believe um, asking that he said they asked him to correct it and they wouldn't the Dutch have stood over the story it's still live and they said that he won't be correcting it so it'll be very interesting to see what we this shakes out because the Dutch are standing over it, but so is Robert Troy yeah because just because he said it's inaccurate doesn't necessarily mean exactly, it is but yeah. that has to be worked out like Okay, last week on The Week Trending at this time, I was away, Ian Guider was presenting and I know he had Roe McDermott and Lorcan, uh, nine with him, talking about the Finnish Prime Minister and 
the pictures that had been taken of her and leaked video and the rest of it. That seems to have worked out in her favour this week, Aoife, hasn't it? Because there was no real story to answer for. You know, I saw one very interesting suggestion on that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that this might have been a sort of a Russian disinformation (laughs) campaign against her. And it's... It's anything's possible. Anything's possible at this stage with the amount of fake news that is deliberately generated Mm -hmm. by government agents for Russia. I think... Far be it for me to get the tinfoil hat on, but I think what it has done and what I have been quite heartened by is the support kind of across the board, men and women, old and young, who have looked at the story and said, this is an on story. She's a 36 year old woman who carries herself impeccably. She is in negotiations with NATO. Finland handled their COVID-19 pandemic as well as most places, uh, better than most places in Europe. She is the youngest Prime Minister in the world when she got elected. She's a young mother with a child. This full outrage that this woman will go day and night out and have a dance when we are used to seeing our politicians in suits, propping up bars, having a laugh with their mates. When Boris Johnson refuses to say how many children he has, when Donald Trump is paying off adult film stars for their silence and this attractive young woman went for a dance after a music festival and all hell breaks loose. It's depressing. Absolutely insane. I mean, one line to me sums it up. The, she, she said her decision-making abilities had been unimpaired. She said she drank only a small amount of alcohol and could have left to take care of government tasks if necessary. Um, did anyone ask such a thing inside the doll bar at two o'clock in the morning any time over the last 50 the do- years? The doll bar doesn't open to you, but I do take the point. It shows you how much I know. But, As someone but who's they, regularly there. Yeah, but they, they do have the think-ins down the country. They do. Yes. 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 Well, we have no specific experience there. But the point being, the mere fact that she would have to make such a statement is absolutely insane. And so she had to take a drug test. No, she, she passed it. it. She t- yeah, 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 of course yeah, she did. crazy. And the other, the other thing about it, like, how do they expect to attract younger people into politics mm-hmm. if this is the attitude? If somebody in their 30s are not able to go and have a few drinks, let their hair down? How, you know, I mean, it's for the boards. And then if we just bring it back to an Irish context, so there is, you know, the well-known interview um, in Hot Press that every politician does and they're asked, have you ever taken drugs? And then whatever answer they give, if they say, yeah, I've taken drugs, like the majority of people in Ireland who have done at some point as a young person, it's used as a stick to beat them with. I think we all understand now that politicians have lives. You know, Leo Varagher went to a Kylie Minogue concert and it was turned into some kind of joke. Um, I think we have a very skewed vision of what we expect from our politicians and some politicians who look a certain way and act a certain way can get away with whatever they want. And when that pol- another politician doesn't really fit the mould, then we have to call on them to apologise for completely normal behaviour. Okay, we need to take a break and we have lots more in the week trending with Ethan Moore and Mick Clifford after we've had the traffic with Neil O'Reilly. For the week trending, we're joined by Ethan Moore, political correspondent with the Irish edition of the Sunday Times and Michael Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Emily Makeless would be possibly best known here in Ireland for her forensic interview with Prince Andrew a few years ago, which he was certainly sweating by the end of it. But <laughs> she has left the BBC. She's launching a new podcast on LBC and uh, she spoke at a conference this week about issues in relation to media coverage and balance in particular. Tell us about this, Aoife, because it's got a lot of attention. Yes, so she gave us a type of lecture the other day and she was talking about the changes that she had seen um, at the BBC. She said that there is a active agent of the Conservative Party who is shaping the broadcaster's news output and he, this man who she names 
Robbie, Sir Robbie Gibb, who worked for Theresa May, she said he is acting as the arbiter of BBC impartiality. She said that uh, Downing Street has an outsized influence on the BBC and uh, the kind of narrative that they put out into their news. Um, she said that, you know, she even found that when she was doing interviews, she was kind of censoring herself because she was afraid of the backlash that she was going to get. She said she's very concerned. We all are concerned about the attacks on democracy. We know that the BBC is supposed to be an impartial state broadcaster and she spoke very much out of school and at length that the Conservative Party has a chokehold, for want of a better word, on the BBC's news output. And on top of that as well, Michael, I was very interested in her talking about the issue of balance, which she says is effectively a false equivalence in that, for example, during the Brexit debates in the run-up to the referendum in 2016, she said they could find any one of an economist who would be able to explain the downsides of Brexit, that it would, you know, they could they could have taken 80 people mm. that they would phone within an mm. hour and any of them would have come on. They could spend half a day trying to find somebody on the other side who then had to be put on to provide balance yeah. rather than actually providing accuracy. Yeah, and that is an issue. And you, like, uh, de- there's definitely other issues around how they've covered Brexit and, and particularly um, she's been pretty prominent in that. But you have to have a small bit of sympathy for them from this point of view. Like, an RT have a similar situation, I think, sometimes. There is that element of both sidesism, e- even if one is a completely imbalanced. Well, we're required to do it under the broadcast. Yeah, exactly. It's not just RT, and, it's and, stations mm-hmm. like this as well. And when we get things like referendums, there are yeah. very strict rules and about both sidesism. Absolutely. And, and I mean, not just that, as you say, the whole preponderance of economists would have come down anti-Brexit. Yes, over half the population voted it for good or ill, like so. It, it, it is yeah, a difficult. Yeah, but would but they, they vote voted for, yeah if they'd would, been correctly informed? Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder. I mean, what do you think? Aoife? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's this false equivalence. Like uh, we can find eighty economists that said Brexit's a bad idea, but now we need to go and find one. And then, you, as you say, we have this very tight vote where the public voted. There was a lot of things said during Brexit that turned out to be complete nonsense. Some of them were written on the side of a bus, for instance. So I think. There is, you know, there's this kind of argument about objectivity and partiality and balance. And we've seen it in this country with referendums and the kind of landslides that the referendums have had. And there has been questions held over about, you know, what is the line when it comes to these kinds of arguments. And there, there, there's also the old Donald Trump one where he claimed that uh, he could walk out in Fifth Avenue and shoot some people and people would still vote for him. And I wonder, did the same thing apply to a large extent at Brexit, irrespective of how many, or who, which, which one of them was it, uh, Gove was it, who said people are fed up of experts, whether how many people <laughs> told them the actual reality of it. Mm-hmm. Do they just look on it as, I'm cheesed off, I don't like the current one, and this is a new one. And that's a phenomenon that's come in yeah. in the last number of years. Like. I actually think Brexit was more a state of mind for some people than it is anything else and I think that is probably a big part of it but just back to the BBC you know it is something even that I have noticed anyone who watches the BBC um, would notice that there is definitely a shift you know there was this kind of I even find it strange I don't know I never worked in England as a journalist I've worked in Scotland for years but she said you know after Dominic Commons was found to have broken the rules she said that Downing Street phoned to give off um, which she said is not unusual. But then she said that the BBC and the, the, the directors, whoever, were at pains to try and yeah. comfort Downing Street. In Irish journalism, maybe I'm a bit greener around the girl. I cannot 
what's your this happening? Abs- absolutely. I'd, like I'd if the Taoiseach's, if uh, the Government Information Service phoned me to give off as much as I love Paul Clarkson, I'd be saying to him, well, it's fair and accurate and away you go. <laughs> I, I, I think something that's even more important than that though is, and she also made reference to this, that she warned that the traditional media is becoming increasingly afraid to stand up for itself in an era where to quote, facts are getting lost, constitutional norms trashed, claims frequently unchallenged. Mm-hmm. That's a real problem. Okay, if I tell us about Gen Z's quiet quitting in a challenge to the so-called hustle culture. Right, I don't know why I feel about this, right? It's not explain, quiet, what is it about? quiet quitting is basically what young people have now decided. We work in a very kind of hustle with no, like hustle culture, right? And everyone is breaking their backs, working. We're up at six. We're going to bed at eleven. We're answering emails, and we're at the in the house. All that sort of stuff. So what these young people are doing are saying, "I am doing my ninety-five in the job responsibilities of the job I was interviewed and I am paid to do, and I am not doing anything else." And they have actually found they're calling it quiet quitting, but it's not. It's not quiet quitting. It's what they are saying is doing the basic job that they were hired to do. They're not going above and beyond. They're doing their 95. Some of them have found that they actually noticed they, because they are enjoying the job more because they're not breaking their backs, that they're getting better um, feedback from their employers, their better work-life balance. I think it depends on the job you do. Um, I don't have a 95 job. Mac doesn't have a 95 job. And the notion of... I can't really relate to this, but it's like, for instance, when I worked in a clothes shop or I worked in a pub, I was getting paid minimum wage and you better believe I was doing the bare minimum. And I think (laughs) there is something to be said that if you want your staff to go above and beyond, you must respect your staff and you must pay them what they're worth. And I think that's what a lot of this comes down to. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, it's just another one of these phases, I think. And, you know, let's face it, younger people, in some ways, they have different priorities. And you have to say, I'd suggest admiral priorities, like in a lot of ways, like, you know, why should they be killing themselves for the man, so to speak, you know? Well, look, just in the time we have to finish that, there is a story I'm interested in as a dog owner. Yeah. Make dogs cry (laughs) tears of joy upon the return of their owner. Yeah, I don't believe it. Like my what? dog, I don't believe it. My dog Skellig is his name. Uh, he basically the, the thing that really got to me here was that the experiment they did in terms of checking whether the dog cried was uh, <coughs> when they saw their owners. It was after while the owner was away for five to seven hours. Now, if he was away for a couple of weeks, all right, the mop might shed a few uh, tears. Hold like. on a second. Do you think dogs have concept of time? <laughs> I'm, I'm deadly serious here. Yeah, a dog no. doesn't know the difference between five hours and five a dog days. Would, dog a does. dog would know if you were away for four weeks between four hours. Ex- it, yeah. They would. Absolutely. Mine does. Anyway, he's a very highly intelligent dog, I'll have you know. Of course he is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> he's as no, dumb, listen, he's I the dumbest was, dog you're ever going to come across. There was a very, very interesting uh, commentary from a vet who was on Top of FM earlier. He said, we cannot attribute human connections and human consciousness to animals. Dogs don't think the way we think. They don't have emotions. I don't know, is that right? Like, either, they can know? obviously be happy oh, and angry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can be happy and angry and sad, but they're not going to be like, oh, Matt, my owner. <laughs> so glad you're well, sorry, I said when we came back from our holidays two, after two weeks away recently, the dog was beside herself she was so yeah happy but physiologically I don't think she wept as much as you're a handsome my, lovely man Matt I don't think your dog, dog wept dog, at the mere sight of you coming home my dog wept when Joe Biden got elected <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Why did you say this something is, like this that? Is descended. Where did that come from? <laughs> this is descended on your farce. <laughs> okay. Some dogs have been known to get so excited that they wet themselves. Oh, yes, my dog does that. Yeah. 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 God love him. Yeah. Okay. And that, we've, that note, <laughs> we will finish up. <laughs> from Moore from the Irish Edition of the Sunday Times, Michael Clifford uh, from the Irish Examiner. Thank you both very much for being with us here on The Last Word today, FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today, FM. It all happens here.